0: Welcome to the connect church podcast our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with god you can connect with god and we can help and merry christmas friends Good to see each of you here. Um, as we enter into this time of celebrating the birth of our Savior Jesus, we also near the end of our study in the book of John. If you don't know, if you haven't been coming to connect, um, we've been studying through the Gospel of John uh, for the last number of months. And it's been a way to try to figure out and answer this question who Jesus really is. And today we get to, to John chapter 18 and 19. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you have an app, you want to look on your phone. Uh, It'll be a few minutes before we actually get to the passage. There's some free Bibles in the back if you need one. Uh, The verses will be on the screen here a little bit. But we get to this kind of culmination of who Jesus is. In chapter 18 and 19, Jesus was the baby who came in the manger, who was born to die for the sins of the world. And that's what we're going to try to get our head around this morning. Before we uh, get further in our message, would you just bow your heads and pray with me quick? God, uh, as we come to this point, we need your help to clear our mind and to hear what you want to say to each of us today. So in our own way, personally, just between us and you, God, we're just asking, speak to us, Lord. Um, speak to us so that we would hear from you and then we'd have the, uh, the courage to, to do whatever you're asking us today. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to put some statements up on the screen, and I want to ask you a question. Uh, what's wrong with this statement? <clears throat> so, first question, uh, first statement is God loves people so much that He freely forgives their sin. Seems pretty much right, doesn't it? Or is there something wrong with that statement? Now you know as much as I do. When you're asked that, you're like, "Wait, this is a trick, isn't it?" Uh, the second one, God wipes our slate clean when you ask for forgiveness, that sound right? Or is there something wrong with that statement? Number three, God freely will accept anyone into his family provided they sincerely desire to be a part of it. Does That seem right? Is there something wrong with that? Well, let me ask you a a different question, not about right and wrong, but let me ask you, is there anything that's missing from that statement? Well, yes, Jesus Christ, Is missing from that statement Uh, what also is missing from that statement is any any mention of a penalty being paid for sin you see uh, if you've been a Christian a while you you know that we have a sin problem John chapter 18 and 19 where we're going to be in a minute is the historical account of the Christian doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ there's this doctrine that Christians talk about called the atonement It's where Jesus gives his sinless life for our sinful life. It's this great exchange. On Friday night, Marcy and I went down to the Buell Theater in Denver to the David Crowder Christmas concert. We heard the Elf song, it was awesome. We heard a lot of great songs. And at the end, we stood with hundreds and hundreds of fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and we sang together these words. What can wash away my sin? nothing but the blood of jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount i know nothing but the blood of jesus for my pardon this i see nothing but the blood of jesus for my cleansing this is what i want he's saying i'm pleading for this nothing but the blood of jesus that's the only way we can be forgiven so i hope you are aware (laughs) of the bad news because the only way to get a solution is that you understand it so we have a sin problem Col- uh, he, excuse me romans chapter 3 verse 23 you might be familiar with it we all fall short of the glory of god and then romans six twenty-three, that that sin leads to death and this word here is the death and hell and that's really really bad news colossians chapter 1 verse 21 puts it this way he says once you were separated from God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says that at one time we were separate from Christ. We were far away. You see, our problem of sin, our sin is a problem because it separates us from God. It removes us from God's presence. I don't want to be separated from God. And my guess is you don't want to be separated from God either. Nobody does. So from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it teaches us that a penalty of death has to be paid for sin. Blood has to be shed. Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So this is a problem for us because there's nothing that you can do or I can do that can wash away this sin. We can't wash away the stain of sin. There's no effort. There's nothing that we can do. We need a solution to the problem. And if You've walked with the Lord at any time. You know what the solution is. God sent His Son. Remember, way back when we studied the book of John, in chapter 3, the most well-known verse in the Bible, verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And then right now, today, in chapter 18 and 19, we're going to see the culmination of the promise from John 3.16. It's going to be fulfilled right here. Paul summarizes it in his second letter to the Corinthians when he says, "God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God." This is the great exchange: Jesus' sinless life, his perfect life, for our sinful life. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we've been healed. So this is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. It's all of these verses that many of us know. We've read them. We've memorized them. We've studied them. It's when Jesus pays the penalty of death that we deserve and he takes our place on the cross. Have you ever thought about it this way? The core difference between a Christian person and a non-Christian person really just comes down to who pays for the sin. It's that simple. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is who pays. You see, if a person is not a Christian and they have rejected Jesus Christ, they don't want His forgiveness, they don't want anything to do with Him, with Jesus, then sadly, they pay the penalty of their sin. But God doesn't want that. God would much rather have Jesus, his son, pay the penalty, and wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather have Jesus pay the penalty instead of you paying the penalty? I hope you know how much God loves you. God loves you as his son, as his daughter. He loves you so much that he left, Jesus left heaven to come to earth as the baby in the manger. He lived a perfect, sinless life so that he would be qualified for John chapter 18 and 19 so that he could be the only one who could give his life for you and for me. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, for Jesus Christ died for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, he was the righteous for us, the unrighteous. Why? To solve that separation problem, to bring us to God, He's put to death in the body, but he's made alive by the Spirit. So we have this sin problem, but thankfully, God has a solution in spite of our sin, in spite of our failures, in spite of our mistakes. And in Romans chapter f- uh, 5, verse 8, you may know, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait on us to get our life together. He didn't wait on us to get, you know, all cleaned up. God loves us in spite of our sin. In fact, He loves us because of our sin. And this is the account, what we're about to read, of all of this culminating together. Jesus is in the garden, as Pastor Chris talked about last week, and He's praying this amazing prayer. And John chapter 18, verse three, Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Catch this verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and he asked, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Jump down to verse 7. Again, Jesus said, To them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it out. He struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. His servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father's given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him to Annas. You see, earlier, if you know the story, earlier that night, Jesus had told God in prayer about his hesitations, maybe even his fear about facing crucifixion and ultimately separation from God. But Jesus also told God that he would do God's will. Look back at what it says in verse 4 at the beginning of that passage. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen. This is a really key verse here. He says it in verse 4. He says it again in verse 7. Jesus knew what it meant for him to turn himself over to the Pharisees and to the Romans. He knew all that was going to happen. Jesus also knew that they were looking for him. So it is a little bit odd. Think about it for a second. If he says in verse 4 and verse 7, who are you looking for? But it also says uh, that he knows all things. Well, if he knows all things, why is he asking, who are you looking for? Of course, he knew they were looking for him. So apparently, he's not asking that for his own benefit, right? He knew the answer to it. He must be asking the question for another reason. Well, here's two quick thoughts. First, I think Jesus is clearly protecting his friends, his, the disciples. Jesus is saying, basically, hey, 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 take me. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, don't take them. Look at verse 8. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. Jesus knew that he was about to face physical pain, beating, and death, uh, at a level of pain and and severity that no one could comprehend, and yet that wasn't what he was worried about. Think about that. In a few hours, he's going to undergo extreme torture, and that wasn't his concern. His concern was about his friends. You talk about a great love. Second, I think that Jesus is saying, who are you looking for? As a way of turning himself over. It's like saying, okay, I made up my mind in the garden with the Father. Not, not my will, Father, but yours. And so as they walk in, he's basically saying, it's me. You remember uh, back in our study of the book of John, in John chapter 10, you might remember these words Um, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Catch this. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And that is exactly what's happening right here. This is the fulfillment of John chapter 10. Later in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord.'" So when Jesus says, Who are you looking for? He's saying, I'm laying my life down. It's me that you're looking for. I am He. You remember uh, how Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where, where it says that Jesus gave himself up. And later in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, that he gave himself up for the church. You see, so that night in the garden, Jesus knew that beatings and crucifixion was awaiting him in coming hours. And because of his love for you and his love for the world and his love for me, he lays his life down. Very intentional. He says, I'm the one that you're looking for. He gives himself up because Jesus knew that you and I couldn't get to heaven any other way. He knew that we needed a Savior. And so he comes, and we celebrate it at this time of year. Look at, with me on the screen at Titus chapter two, verse fourteen. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us. This is the promise. This is the fulfillment of John three sixteen. He gave himself up. Jesus says, take me, that's why I was born, that's why I lived a perfect life, that's why I'm here, here I am, take me. Jesus is saying to the soldiers who would beat and kill him, he's saying to the religious leaders who would lie and falsely accuse him, he's saying to Pilate who would order his execution, and he's saying to you and to me who also sent him to the cross because of our sin, he's saying, I love you, I'll take your place, I want you to be free from this penalty of sin that's coming. I I want to pay the price for you. I want you to walk in freedom and forgiveness and righteousness and holiness. I'm the only way to the Father. And so Jesus lays down his life because he's the only one qualified to pay the penalty of death that must be paid. So Jesus is arrested by the Jewish leaders and he's taken before Pilate who's like the chief law enforcement officer and judge, kind of like all in one. He's like the final say. And the Jewish leaders, you see, they wanted to kill him, but they couldn't do it. So they had to get Pilate to be the one to put Jesus to death. Look what Pilate says about Jesus in verse 38. Pilate announces, I find no basis for a charge against this guy. Pilate says he's innocent. He literally says, he's innocent. I find no charge. But even though Pilate says that he's innocent, which was in fulfillment of Scripture also. He has him beaten, and then ultimately he's killed. So go to chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged, which is a lot there, severely beaten. Verse 2, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe and went up, to him again and again, Hail, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. They're mocking him. I mean, this is a very, very sad account. And then jump down to verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. So Jesus is on the cross. Now jump to verse 28. Knowing that everything had been finished, and so scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, catch this, he said, it's finished. With that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Look at those last words. Jesus gave up his spirit. Remember what we just read? John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus said, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. So in the garden, he gives himself away, and on the cross, he decides it's finished. And he gave up his life. Jesus freely la- lays down his life for you and for me. He takes the death that you and I deserve. But I have to ask a question why? Why would Jesus? go through such excruciating pain and torture and extreme for us? The simple answer is because we're God's children, and God goes out of His way to rescue His children. You know, the parents in the room, we kind of we get this a little bit. What we wouldn't do for our kids, we'd do anything. We're only that way because we're made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. That's stamped inside of us, but it's not us doing it. It's God. This is who God is. God wants to rescue His children. I want to look at a story, instead of telling you one of my own stories, I want to look at another one of Jesus' stories that illustrates this principle of His love. And it's from Matthew chapter 18. If you want to turn there, we're going to have it on the screen. you may know it as the parable of the unmerciful servant. And often when I teach this, we, we talk about the unmerciful servant. But today, for this point, we're going to actually just talk about the merciful character, the first half of the story. little tip for you. Anytime you read a parable, a story that Jesus makes up to make a point, and it says, the kingdom of heaven is like, well, you should like lean in a little bit. Because when it says the kingdom of heaven is like, it's, it's as if G- God, Jesus is saying, this is what God's like this is what God thinks of you. This is how God uh, treats you. Another little tip about the story. Um, there's going to be a couple characters in the story. The king is God and the servant is us. So keep that in mind when we read it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many, time, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Your version might say 77 times or 70 times seven And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. There it is. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's saying, this is what God is like. Ready? It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. But at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay it back. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. So, a little background. Culturally, if, an, if somebody was offended, they were supposed to, to give forgiveness extend forgiveness at least three times. But catch this, the other side is, is also only three times. It was limited to three times. So when Peter says to Jesus, hey, how about we do it seven times? Peter's thinking, man, I'm being like, I'm going to the, you know, extreme generous. And God is saying through this parable, he's setting a new standard for forgiveness. He's not saying Three times or seven times or even 77 times or even 70 times seven. He's just saying as much as needed Jesus is saying there is no limit. That's the point. No limit to God's forgiveness And then he says and we're supposed to be like that We're supposed to be like that and then Jesus illustrates how outrageously generous God has been in extending forgiveness Jesus tells us about this guy who has this enormous debt. He says, there's this guy, and and he owed a master 10,000 talents, uh, is what your version might say. The the NIV that we read today says 10,000 bags of gold. Now, I want you to uh, understand this for a second. One bag of gold, if I can do this, hang on, was 70 pounds. So that's one bag. That's two bags. Catch this for a second. It's gonna be, on the, some of you don't care about this, other people are like fascinated by the math of this, but just check this out. One pound of gold in today's dollars, $22,000. But this isn't one pound, this is 70 pounds. So that's $1,540,000. Okay, but he doesn't say one bag, he says this times what? Ten thousand, fifteen trillion, four hundred million, is the debt that this guy owed. Some of you are sitting there going, oh, "Wait, that's not what I read." I'm, my Bible study notes and it says this, and it says. But here's the thing: this is an enormous debt. The point is, look back at Romans chapter three, verse twenty-three. Remember when it says that we fall short. Are you starting to get a picture of how far we fall short? How incredibly short we fall? Many of us are deceived into thinking that God is going to judge us one day based on a scale. Have you ever thought about that? Like, we've done bad, so I got to do good. And we try to kind of weigh the good from the bad. Think about it we're talking about 700,000 pounds of sin or debt. That means we got to do 700,000 pounds of good works. That's a lot. And here's the problem we don't know. Nobody knows. Like, have I done enough good? Like, is it enough now? Is it enough now? And that's not the point. The point is, we just don't know. It's $15 trillion isn't the point. The point is, it's a number so big that you can never repay it. That's the point. Now, he also says a talent, like if you want to go the same analogy from your version, or maybe what your Bible says, one talent was 20 years wages. Okay, so let's pretend like this is 20 years wages, but it's not just one 20 year wages, it's what? It's 10,000 of these. Well, that's pretty simple math. I can just move the zero on that deal. That's 200,000 years. Well, think about that. Since Jesus died, it's been what? 2,000 years. This is 200,000 years. That's how big our debt of sin is that he talks about. But it's not about our debt. It's about our forgiveness. That's what we've been forgiven. That's what Jesus takes our place. He forgives us that amount of debt. And really, if you understand, it doesn't matter if you use the gold analogy or the pounds analogy or the years analogy. Here's Jesus' point. You've been forgiven a zillion dollars. That's what he's saying. It's like this number that doesn't exist. It's saying that it's so much you can't even understand it. So, since the servant in the story wasn't able to pay it back, he does the only thing. Well, first of all, he couldn't pay it back. So, catch this his wife and his children and all that he had was sold. Don't miss this point. Our sin affects the people around us, and it has bad consequences. And the servant realizes that he has only one choice. And so he does the only thing he can do. And he falls on his knees and he begs for mercy. And he says this word. Did you catch the word he said? God, be patient with me. Be patient with me. And then he says an unbelievable thing. I'll pay it back. (laughs) Well, he couldn't pay it back. There's no way he could ever pay it back. And the punchline of the story comes in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him. The word there can be translated compassion. He had compassion on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. The master, remember, is God, and he had compassion on who? Who's the debtor? It's us. Even though we have a zillion dollars of debt, and he wipes it all clean. That's the point of the story. God is outrageously generous in his forgiveness because of the magnitude of our sin. That's what happened in John chapter 18 and John chapter 19. In an unthinkable act of grace, God wipes our entire debt clean. The good news of the gospel is that we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. He will pay the penalty of our debt, and there's no limit to our forgiveness, to God's forgiveness for our sin. We simply need to fall on our knees and ask for God's mercy. And God grants mercy through this crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we get a new start. We get forgiveness, redemption, new life. On the cross, Jesus became my substitute, and he became your substitute. He took my sin, and he took your sin, and it put him on Jesus. And Jesus died the death that I deserve, and he died the death that you deserve, even though it was a zillion dollars. But here's the thing. You have to ask that Jesus' payment on that cross would count for your pile of sin. Just in the same way the man fell on his knees and he asked, you have to ask and I have to ask. And you can do it right now in prayer. If you just bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe for you, this is a first-time commitment. Maybe you're just not sure. Will I go to heaven? Will I not? Does God forgive me? Does he not? I think I've asked, but I'm not sure. Well, you can be sure this morning. The Bible says that you can have absolute certainty. So as your head bowed and your eyes are closed, just say these simple words to God if you want to you want to be forgiven, just say this after me, just to you and God. God, I repent. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. God, I exchange my sin for your forgiveness. God, please trade Christ's death for my life. God, I surrender to your leadership. Please be my Lord. God, please save me. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time or as a recommitment, God's stirring something in your heart, Chris will mention it later, but we'd love to talk to you about it after service. I'll be around. Grab me, grab one of the pastors on the team, and we'd love to talk more about it.